Twitter handle at religion of woke. Are you a fat alcoholic? Well, it's not your fault. That's just your genetics. I don't know why, but I'm feeling a lot better about myself today. So I'm listening to Sam Harris talk to Robert Plowman about genetics. They're saying some interesting stuff. I guess first off, nature and nurture. Um, I did not have a misconception about what um, nurture means, but apparently a lot of people do. So let's go over those two things. Um, so nature, that's genetics. And that's pretty much it. The beginning and the end of nature is, a.k.a. genetics. It's your DNA. DNA is a single molecule. It's like enormously large, but it's still a single molecule. Uh, and I think you got a DNA molecule, you know, certainly every one of your cells, probably, probably more than that. And a lot of your DNA is, well, you know, so they give one example. Humans have 50% the same DNA as a banana. You know, that's stuff like, do you have cells with cell walls and a nucleus, right? Most, a lot of, most of your DNA is taken up with that kind of thing. And I forget how similar humans are to chimpanzees. I think that's our closest relative. You know, we're like 95 or 98 or something percent the same as a chimpanzee. And that's like, do you have two eyes? Do you have two arms? Do you have two legs? Etc. You know, that's most of your DNA is just defining that stuff. And then humans are 99% the same. So, whatever. The difference between any human is uh, 1% of your DNA. The rest of it is just saying that you're made, of, you know, that you're a mammal, basically. You're an ape. So that's nature. Now how about nurture? Um, I never had this misconception. The uh, Plowman, he's, he's a, you know, big time PhD, uh, psychology, genetics, something, something. Um, he says a common mis misconception about nurture is that that's basically like your parents and how they raise you when you're a kid. Now, I always knew it's everything, but... So anyways, it ain't just your parents. It's it's absolutely everything. It could be... Um, whatever. Is there lead in the air because of leaded gasoline? Uh, do you live in a place that's warm? Do you live in a place that's cold? You know, the weather. The weather is nurture. Everything. You know, even even what the moon is doing. You know, even what Jupiter is doing if it somehow affects you, uh, would be part of nurture. And I guess an example about how genetics is changing psychology is given that uh, in the 70s, they thought that schizophrenia was caused by what the mother does in like the first few years of the child's life. And uh, turns out it's uh, genetic, or lar you know, largely genetic. Basically everything, almost everything that people care about seems to be largely genetic. That's a controversial thing to say, and there's some caveats to go with it. They're saying that basically, you know, maybe think of something important, like, you know, are you fat? Are you an alcoholic? Um, a lot of that stuff comes out to maybe 50% genetic. You know, you do some studies. They keep the studies within... Um, White people, basically. Like, we don't know. We don't know what the results would be in Asians or African or Amerindian, but 
whatever, because we we study white people, right? That's one of the one of the criticisms criticisms of uh, medical science today. A lot of times we study men more than women. Well, in medicine, I don't know about in DNA, but so a lot of it comes down. You know, maybe it's fifty percent, maybe it's thirty. I think alcoholism was thirty percent, for instance. Uh, but so you know, I think you know, I, I like if you, you know, if you ask me on anything. The number I'd throw out as my guess for how much of it is genetic, I'd say 50%. In other words, it's incredibly powerful. Like, if you change someone's environment, well, maybe you'll have a... Well, actually, we'll hear you have less than a 50% chance of helping them. But if you could change their DNA, boom, you'd have a 50% chance of solving that problem. And so here's the thing that complicates it. So, say genetics are 50% of it, that doesn't... You know, so that's nature... That doesn't really mean that nurture gets the other 50%. Genetics, whatever, they do even more. And the example they're giving, I don't know if they give the percentage or not, but they're talking about, you know, if your kid is antisocial, as in they don't, you know, they don't do what's, they don't get along well in society, whatever, you could have a kid that bites, stuff like that. Well, so I'm just going to throw out 50% for all these numbers. So, you know, say that's 50% genetic. Well, there you go. You got 50% chance of having a delinquent kid, basically. But then because your kid is kind of delinquent, what they do is they go out and make friends who are like them. So now your delinquent kid is hanging out with a bunch of other delinquent kids. So you would say, well, okay, hanging out with delinquent kids, that's all nurture, right? That's just, that's all the environment. It has nothing to do with genetics. But genetics, kind of, the stuff that they don't control, it kind of exacerbates <laughs> the nurture. The nature exacerbates the nurture problems. And I'm sure it goes the same way with good stuff. That's it. You know, people don't ever talk about good stuff. I'm sure if you're a well-behaved kid, you end up making friends with other well-behaved kids, right? And then there you go. You got a virtuous circle, right? You either get these vicious cycles or these virtuous circles and... Uh, it's tough. Basically, it lets parents off the... Almost lets parents off the hook for anything. Makes me think of a study they did a while back. You know, any study that's been done should be taken with a grain of salt. But it was an interesting study. And like, there's a lot of talk of, like how many words you speak to your baby. And it's like, oh, these babies that are doing poorly in school, when they get to school age, their parents are not speaking to them very much. And, you know, and they look at the other ones and... Like, these ones are doing great. Their parents speak to them a ton. Now, is it the speaking that does it? Or is it genetics? But anyways, the study that I, that I remember, because it was a pretty interesting result, was they looked at books in the household. And I think they also, like, videotaped uh, parent-child interactions. And so, you know, the initial idea was, well, there's books in the household... Therefore, the parents are going to read to the children. Therefore, the children hear these extra words. Therefore, the children do better in school. But what they found was, while it was true that having books in the household leads to better success in school for the kids, reading to them didn't change it. Like, you know, some of the parents had a bunch of books, and they read to their kids a lot. And some of the parents had a bunch of books, and they didn't read to their kids. And they both got the same result good uh, scholastic results from their kids. So what does that mean? It means basically 
parents who like books give good scholastic DNA to their kids. And now they're trying to figure out stuff since we got machines, you know, that can look at DNA. But, um, you know, people were looking into the stuff before that. And what they would use a lot of times is twin studies. Like, you know, if you got a question, you're like, how much is what the parents do? And, you know, maybe the neighborhood and friends or whatever. How much is how much is that what controls stuff? And how much of it is genetics, even before we could sequence DNA? Well, what they would do is they would look at twins that were raised apart. Like, maybe they were given up for adoption. And, you know, one went to California and lived in some some completely different life from the other one who went to Alabama. And what they find are just like amazing, amazing similarities. Like they go look at these people when they're, you know, 40 years old or 50 years old and they'll both be mechanics or whatever. Like you wouldn't think DNA would make you be a, would, would choose your job, you know, or choose the, choose the type of wife you have. But it will do that kind of stuff when you look at these twin studies. And also, besides twins, you can just look at general adoption stuff. And so, body mass index, you know, it's like how fat you are. It correlates 30%, you know, that's decent, with your birth parents. And it correlates 0% with your adoptive parents. So, you know, basically, if your parents are fat, 30% chance maybe that you'll be fat. And... If you get adopted, you know, if you get adopted into a family or whatever, say your parents are fat or skinny, then you'll probably, you know, there's a decent chance you'll be fat or skinny. But, you know, if you get adopted into a household that's eating nothing but tons of fried chicken and you got the skinny gene, you're probably fine. And if you get adopted into a household that's, you know, vegan and you got the fat gene, look out, Tubzo. Look out, Chubsy Dubsy. Look out, Chunk. You're going to have to do the truffle shuffle. They're talking about epigenetics. Um, I remember there's a lot of articles about epigenetics um, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And epigenetics are kind of like, you know, kind of the, the articles you read in the paper back then would be like, if your mother is under a lot of stress, then somehow it changes how your, you know, it doesn't change your DNA, your genes, but it changes how, changes how they're expressed. Whatever that means. Apparently, you know, Genes can turn off and on, I think, uh, a liver cell versus a heart cell, you know, it's got different stuff turned off and on. It's all got the same DNA, though. And I think, basically, like, people were hoping that um, epigenetics was going to overrule genetics. They're like, oh, no, it's not, it's not your DNA. That's not what makes people different. It's, you know, it's whatever. The, your mom lives in a bad neighborhood, so all you know. So all we have to do to fix your DNA is to not have your mom live in a bad neighborhood. But anyways, and you don't hear about it as much anymore. And according to this Plowman guy, uh, people are getting over it. Like they hope they 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 thought they had they thought they'd found it. They thought they'd found that everyone has a whatever the same abilities genetically and its environment. Uh, that causes the differences, but uh, anyways, I think at this point, people are people are giving up on that, and I guess, and he makes a good point here, is that whatever epigenetics do, like, you know, say something control, you know, say your, well, body, 
how fat you are. 30%. So your DNA controls 30% of how fat you are. So then epigenetics is in that 70% part. Like that doesn't change it. If epigenetics does something, it's in that 70% chunk. And if it does absolutely nothing, it's in that 70% chunk. Does not affect how much DNA control stuff. It's basically part of nurture, not nature. So talking about that, uh, you know, these, these genes make you 30% uh, fatter or 30% more likely to be fat. That doesn't mean that DNA accounts for 30% of your fatness and 70% of it is elsewhere. Because we're, you know, we haven't figured out, we don't know exactly how the human body and DNA and brain work. That just means so far we've found genes that add up to control 30% of it. So, you know, you could, we could find later on that your DNA controls 90% of how fat you are or whatever, you know, like who knows? The number can only go up. We know, we know DNA controls at least 30%, not 30% no more. And so, you know, so it might make some, some of this stuff may make some people happier. You're like, you know, a parent who has a bad kid. It's like, sweet, that kid just, that's just a bad kid. Nothing I did wrong. But as we learn more of this stuff, you know, and you, you send it, you take your saliva swab and send it in to 23andMe, uh, maybe, you know, or whatever. Or the hospital gives you a, a sheet on your unborn fetus. Um, like, you know, what what is this stuff that we should know or stuff that we should not know? Like, I feel a lot of people are like, oh, it's all environment and please stop looking for more genetic reasons. I, we don't want we don't want to know any more than that. Done. It's environment. Please do not research this any further. But for instance, say you are susceptible to alcoholism. Like, do you want to know that? You're like, you know, does that mean you just give up? I mean, you know, it depends on when you learn. If you learn after you're an alcoholic, I guess it's too late. But uh Maybe you know if you you know if you're if you can be told early on when you're younger, uh, don't drink a lot because you are likely to turn into an alcoholic if you do. It could be some very useful information. They're mentioning that uh, schizophrenia, you know, is not like all these things. First off, all these things are like it's a it's not one gene. There's no gay gene that makes you gay. There's a thousand gay genes or ten thousand. And those genes, you know, maybe this, this one gene makes you a little gayer and also, you know, helps your blood process oxygen a little bit better. So it's very hard to figure out exactly which ones do what because it takes tons of genes to do stuff and each of those genes will do multiple things. But anyways, they mentioned schizophrenia. Apparently there's thousands of genes involved in that and uh, whatever. If you got it in your family and you want to help them, um, do not take psychedelic drugs, you know, like acid and mushrooms and DMT. Apparently that can trigger a little more schizophrenia in you. And also stay away from marijuana. Makes me think of this one time I hung out with a guy with schizophrenia. Like I've seen, you know, homeless people with schizophrenia. There's one in my town. Uh, decent guy, doesn't hurt no one. Um, homeless. But, uh, I only, only ever hung out with a guy once, and, uh, because I was, I was at my buddy's house, 
and his neighbor uh, was schizophrenic. It was like when we were, we were younger. We were like in our 20s or something. So it was actually his parents' place, and then his parents' neighbors had a son who was schizophrenic, and he was, I think he was a little bit younger than us, but, you know, basically we were all like 20 years old or something. And he came over, and we were, uh, I think we were, we were in the hot tub or something. And he was a nice guy. He came over. He was acting totally normal. He was a totally nice guy. And then he uh, pulled out a little uh, marijuana pipe and smoked some of it. And then after that, his words made no sense. I mean, or, yeah, whatever. The stuff he was saying made no sense. It was just kind of word salad. It wasn't like the cow jumped over the moon, right? That has a good subject and a predicate. You're like, you know. Who did it? The cow. What did they do? They jumped over the moon. So he wasn't just saying like crazy stuff or whatever, stuff that isn't possible. He would just put random, it was kind of like he just put random words together and you couldn't, couldn't understand what he was trying to say. Didn't get violent. Nice guy. But also a little bit scary. I didn't want to, I didn't, whatever, want to hang out with him a bunch. But, so my buddy knew this guy because they lived next door for their childhoods and you know because he has schizophrenia he doesn't have didn't have a lot of friends didn't have friends I mean it's sad I mean it's it's terribly sad I think he was a totally normal kid until whenever teenage years and it all went to crap but anyways his parents would pay my buddy to take this guy skiing and I think you know it's hard to find constructive or, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know, but my guess is it's hard to find constructive things for people with schizophrenia to do. And so they found one and it was skiing, like, whatever. He was out there. Actually, what it was is that his craziness made him better at it. Like, he would go out there and he would, I mean, I never saw this, but my buddy would talk about it. He would, like, find the biggest jumps, like jumping off, you know, 40-foot cliffs and then landing in the snow and continuing on. And so he'd be like a superstar out there. Everyone would be like, wow, dude, you're so amazing. You know, I mean, I don't think he's, st- whatever. They probably didn't talk to him too long to figure out that he was uh, schizophrenic. They were just like, man, this guy has no fear. And he did. He had no fear. Something was wrong with his brain. He had absolutely no fear when it came to doing crazy stuff while skiing. I think after a while he had problems and the skiing stuff had to end, but. At least you got to do that for a while.